There we go. And I'm going to just pray before I speak. Lord, thank you uh, for this series on Mark that we've had over the last nine or ten weeks. I thank you that we have got to, to hear um, your words, Lord Jesus, in this Gospel of Mark uh, and people's uh, preaching on this, your preached word and your spirit has made those words uh, understandable to us. And I pray that as I preach this last sermon on this series, that you will speak through me um, and that everyone will hear what they need to hear this morning in Jesus name. Amen. OK, so. I want to ask you a question this morning that I'm going to get you to discuss as well uh, in the small group discussions afterwards. And the question is, what is discipleship? What is discipleship? I saw um, this picture a few years ago that I thought was quite quite funny on this. And perhaps you need to be on social media to understand this properly. But I quite like this. Uh, if you can't see, it's Jesus sitting next to a man and he's saying, no, I'm not talking about Twitter. I literally want you to follow me. <laughs> uh, and I thought that was quite funny because, of course, on social media, you can follow people. And the joke is that this person, um, you know, maybe Jesus has said to him, I want you to follow me. And imagine the disciples today uh, saying back to Jesus, oh, you know, how do I follow you on Twitter? And Jesus is saying, no, I don't want you just to follow me on Twitter or Facebook. I literally want you to follow me. And I'm going to begin like Peter did last week by sharing at the beginning, in the middle and at the end, the, the focus of my talk. And if there's one thing I want you to take away, it is this, that the whole of the Gospel of Mark is about discipleship from first right through to the last. And the ending uh, in this chapter 16 is no different. Discipleship, following after Jesus is the whole point. Uh, but I want to just to briefly just to say thank you to everyone, I suppose, and to give us a context of where we've got up to at the end of this book. Uh, remind us of what we've been through so far. So just briefly for a minute or so. We started way back in January uh, on this gospel. And Dan started off by asking, what is the gospel? Uh, the gospel, the good news was a Roman military phrase that your rightful king is here. And the, the early Christians kind of took this phrase and applied this to Jesus. Lynette spoke on God calling sinners to follow him, not the, the healthy that need God, but it is the sinners to follow him. Taron spoke on facing internal and external storms, but Jesus is the healer. Lynn spoke on the, the, the background of the Syrophoenician woman and there were sandwiches mentioned as well, which I thought was great. <laughs> um, Ian spoke on the fact that halfway through the gospel, the tone changes and uh, the, there's the route towards um, uh, Jerusalem and the importance of discerning prophecy and words from God. Jenny spoke uh, on who is the greatest. Are we content with being not important? Nicola and Alan from Warrington Corps came and spoke about Lent uh, and then Georgia spoke on the greatest commandment. Are we being intentional in our discipleship? Uh, Arthur then spoke uh, on are we ready for Jesus's return two weeks ago? Really challenging talk on that. And last week, Peter spoke on the uh, Peter's denial and take a different kind of take on that that we usually have. Uh, our salvation doesn't depend on us. And inevitably, there is stuff that we've missed out. If we wanted to do justice to this whole gospel, we'd have had to do a whole year. We've only done it in nine, I think nine weeks, I think. 
and obviously we've missed things out um and inevitably since last week what's happened between peter's talk and my talk you have the whole crucifixion which we've we've missed out in mark but obviously we're going to be looking at that as we enter holy week uh, in in two weeks time or under two weeks and i hope you've enjoyed this series i've enjoyed it um it's not just because i this is the first time i've preached on it um <laughs> uh, but i've really enjoyed the fact that our preaching team has grown you know over the years and it's so wonderful to hear so many different voices uh, on that and i want to do two things today looking at this final chapter um two things i want to do in three points all the best sermons have three points as I often say, <laughs> no, that's not true. Uh, but I want to do two things. I want to look at these eight verses um, and I want to draw in themes from the whole gospel because I think that those things are really linked. Um, so I want to do that in three points. And the first point is that in the gospel of Mark, Mark wants us to know that Jesus and his kingdom turns everything that we think we know upside down. And that should unsettle us, okay? Much of what the disciples and the crowds in the Gospel of Mark, uh, and for us today, much of what we assume is normal and common sense is disrupted as God's kingdom breaks in. If you think about it throughout the Gospel, we've had a look at the first will be last, the greatest will be the least, all of these types of things. And this is true in these last eight verses. The first thing we notice as we Look at this in verse one, is that it is the women who are still around. It is the women who are still around. And Mark wants us to know this. What does it say? Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices. And this links to the previous chapter, chapter 15, um, where it is the, the women who are still at the cross. Of course, in John's gospel, you do have the disciple that Jesus loved as well. Mark doesn't have that. He has these three women um, who are there. And it's possible that Mark is really trying to contrast this with the three uh, in Jesus' inner circle. Jesus had 12 disciples, of course, but there were three, Peter, James and John, uh, for instance, who came up to the transfiguration on the Mount of Transfiguration for him. And Mark is perhaps making this point that, you know, while it is these men who deserted Jesus, it is still the women who have come. And throughout the gospel, we do see this pattern in Mark that it's often, not always, but often the women and children, those excluded often from society back then, who are the examples of good discipleship and it is often the men who are failing let's just have a quick look at this uh, on a slide it's going to come up here just as a brief look you have the men uh disciples who are often asking questions like can we sit at your right hand but jesus responds and says you must be like a little child these children uh the men the disciples often fail to understand about the cross um but it is the women who end up staying with jesus the Syrophoenician woman, the woman who is bleeding. Uh, these are the examples of good discipleship. Uh, and often the men are the ones who are running away, frankly, in the gospel of, of Mark. What is my point in this? My point is not to say that all women are brilliant disciples and all men are terrible disciples. Of course, that's not true. I know that there's perhaps some strands of of uh, you know society today that would have you believe that, but of course that's not the case. There are brilliant male disciples 
and there are terrible women ones. Of course there are. But my point is, and I think Mark's point is that the gospel uh, in God's kingdom, those who are often excluded and left out by the rest of the world are given a central place. 2000 years ago, children and women were excluded from much of society and uh, they were often defined by their husbands and their fathers. It's an interesting point as well. I was doing some research that in the Gospel of Mark, uh, women often appear without their husbands. Uh, and that, again, would have been quite an odd thing to have sort of witnessed and to seen. And um, that, yeah, don't, don't let anyone ever tell you as well that women can't preach. Um, I think in all the Gospels, it is the women who are the ones who are giving the first ever sermon on the risen Christ, isn't it? What does it say in verse seven uh, of our chapter that Hannah just read? Um, the young man speaking to these women, he says, go and tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you. It is the women who have the first um, sermon, the first ever sermon on the risen Christ. Um, I heard a story once where there were a, a group of Christians and they were going down the road and they were passing a woman who was uh, begging in the street and they stopped and they spoke to her and they took her home and they they gave her things to eat and she turned to them and she said you're Christians aren't you you see differently you see differently you don't see me just as a beggar but you see me as a human being and she came to Christ, she was saved, and she says that now she sees differently as well. And this seeing differently is a crucial part of the gospel. And it's a crucial part of Mark's gospel, especially. I mean, all the gospels, of course, have this. But I think Mark, especially dying to ourselves and being raised in Christ, this is what being born again really means. Dying to yourself, dying to the patterns of the world that aren't of the kingdom of God and being raised to new life, to see the world differently, to be part of a community that puts itself under the Lordship of Jesus Christ and sees people as they are, not as the world sees them. Paul puts it in his letters about human traditions. Are you being guided more by human traditions or by what God has baptized, by what God has has said is, is really true in the risen Christ. Those who are excluded in the kingdom of God have central place. That's the first point. Secondly, how do we get to see differently? The answer, according to, to Mark, according to the gospel, according to this eight verses, is by following Jesus. Now, that might sound pretty simple, doesn't it? Of course, you follow Jesus. But I want to emphasize this. The whole of the gospel of Mark is not about knockdown arguments uh, which leave us passive or just stay in our head as intellectual arguments, but the whole Gospel of Mark is ultimately a challenge to us. That it is in the following of Jesus with our lives, that is where we come to discover who Jesus is. It is in the following of Jesus. Let's look, for example, at some of the healings this whole gospel has a lot of healings in them. And I've been really struck. It's really interesting kind of reading through this that Jesus heals someone and the crowd sees it. And many people believe, which is great. But many people see the healings and they take offense, don't they? Mark 
presents these healings in his gospel not as necessarily a knockdown proof that you know Jesus is the son of God it's who he is but he's asking us a question he's asking the people who see this a question are you going to believe this are you going to put your trust in this person or are you going to take offense the Pharisees the teachers of the law see exactly the things that the crowd does the word for crowd in, in Greek is the ochlos, this, this crowd that follows Jesus around. Um, but they take offense. They say you're from the devil. And as we read this, he's asking us the same question. What's your response to this? You know, healings in the Gospel of Mark aren't necessarily proof of anything, but they are. They, they ask you a question. What do you, what do you make of this? Are you going to follow this Jesus or are you going to take offense? The Greek word for follow um, is akolutheo, and I, I I didn't count them myself. I'm not going to claim that, but I, I looked online, and uh, apparently it appears 18 times in the Gospel of Mark. That's more than once every chapter, and this word to follow comes over and over again, and that's the challenge Mark wants for us, and it's the same as we come to this last chapter, chapter 16. What happens? The women come to the tomb. And they see that the, the, the stone has been rolled away and they see this young man, it says, uh, sitting at the right side. And just as a little aside, um, whenever anyone sits at the right side, it says in the New Testament, that is a sign of, of solidarity, of saying, I want to associate with this person. Jesus sits, doesn't he, at the right hand of the Father in heaven. So this man is sitting at the right side. And what does he say? He says, he is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you. He is going before you to Galilee. In other words, we go right back to the start of the gospel in, in uh, chapter one, verse 17. Jesus calls his disciples. He says, come and follow me. This is right at the beginning. And it's right at the end. Follow me. But not only that, this little phrase, I love this phrase, Jesus goes before you. It is him that we follow. It is Jesus that we follow. Uh, I may have said this before, but the German word for follow, this, I have no, no reason anyone would necessarily know this, um, but it is, it's kind of two words put together. It's nach folgen, nach folgen. Nach is after and folgen is to follow, literally to follow after. That's the word for discipleship in German. I love that. So what does a life of discipleship look like? It looks like Jesus. Everything we've read over these last nine, ten weeks, it looks like that. Any expression of Christianity which doesn't constantly refer to Jesus Christ as the, the full revelation of God is in trouble. Anything that doesn't refer to Jesus is in trouble. I've said it before, and I'm going to say it again, uh, that I'm going to bring this slide up here, that you cannot worship this Christ unless you learn to follow this Christ. The trouble with a lot of Christianity is that we want this first risen Jesus, the glory, the, the risen Christ, the one who's sitting at the right hand of the Father, but we forget that is only because Jesus led the life that he led and died the death that he died, that we get to proclaim the risen Christ. 
we had a, a series on Revelation, I think over a year ago now. I think we were back at the hall and I remember kind of preaching on Revelation 5. You have this image of the lion and the lamb together. And it is the lion, the powerful lion, the, the all-powerful lion who's roaring, who is the overcomer. But it is also the lamb that has overcome. It is the lamb who is able to open the scroll, uh, the, the scroll of the meaning of life. No one else is able to open the scroll, but it is the lamb, the gentle, peaceful lamb. And I love a few chapters later in Revelation, they have this verse, which I think, again, just to summarizes discipleship i'm going to bring it up on the screen uh revelation chapter 14 verse 4 it says they follow the lamb wherever he goes and this picture that you see on the left here was a picture the the early church used to use a lot this lamb who, who takes the flag and everyone would be pictured kind of following this lamb it's such a beautiful description isn't it of discipleship um that this this journey of gentleness of peace of forgiveness and that our proclamation of course it is a powerful proclamation when we say jesus risen from the dead but it is not coercive or forceful at all it is gentle and beautiful um a phrase again i want to share will come up on the screen um a guy i've quite liked over the years a guy called shane claiborne said christianity is at its best when it is peculiar, marginalized and suffering. And it is at its worst when it is popular, credible and triumphal and powerful. I quite like that. So that's the thing, it's about discipleship. And then a final point that I want to just raise. Um, and this is something that you, know, you may have heard before, you may not have heard before. Um, it's kind of linked to the last issue. And I wanted just to bring this up because it's something that I think is, is important. It comes to do with the, the ending of Mark's gospel. And in most Bibles, you will see after verse eight, it says something like uh, some versions don't have the rest of the ending, verses nine to 20. Um, or it says something like the shorter ending or the longer ending. And I don't know if you've ever looked into this at all. I had looked into it a little bit and I wanted to do a bit of research about this. And I just wanted to just share, I suppose, some stuff. What's going on here? Um, the fact is that the earliest examples we have in Christian history of people interpreting Mark's gospel don't have the next verses, verses 9 to 20. It just finishes at verse 8. Um, and there are different options about what possibly happened here. The first option is that when Mark wrote it, he probably wrote it on some parchment. And these parchments were quite uh, brittle and perhaps it fell off kind of when it was traveled, you know, these, these documents were, were taken to some of the communities uh, around the, uh, the Middle East when that happened. And that's possible. Second option is that maybe that happened to some of the documents, but uh, Mark did intend this to be the ending. And um, there were various copies that were sent around. Um, but many people question this. And I think that there's good reason to, to question this. And the reason is that the tone of chapter 16 verses 9 to 20 is quite different from the rest of the Gospel of Mark. If you look at um, the rest of verses 9 to 20 after this, it kind of everything wraps up nicely. You have uh, Jesus appearing to the disciples, you have Peter reinstated and you have Jesus, Jesus going up into heaven to be at the right hand of 
the father. There's this kind of triumphal ending, happily ever after, a bit like a Hollywood film, perhaps. And as I've just said before, and as we've been through this Gospel of Mark, this is quite different to the tone of the rest of the Gospel, where following Jesus um, uh, comes without many signs necessarily of success. There are signs and wonders aren't necessarily a fast track to, to faith. And many who, who follow Jesus don't necessarily, you know, you have faith without necessarily kind of seeing even, it says at times, you know, and you will face hardship and persecution. And so there is a third option that I think, uh, from my perspective, I might be wrong. I really might be wrong. And if I am, I pray that God will condemn me <laughs> on this. But I think the, the actual ending that Mark intended was verse 8. And the other bit was probably put in perhaps a little bit later by uh, a, a church father, perhaps, who was trying to summarise the end of the other Gospels. Because, of course, the other Gospels do have a similar ending. Um, and I think the, the reason is that Mark's Gospel is not primarily, the power of Mark's gospel is not primarily about what it tells us, but what it asks of us, okay? The power of Mark's gospel is not in what it tells us, but what it asks of us. How does verse eight finish? It might seem like quite an odd place to end. It says, they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. I think this makes more sense. Mark wants us to avoid sitting back at the end and thinking, great, that's all done, I can sit back. He wants to provoke a response in each of us. You've seen, reader, disciple, what I've said about this Jesus. What are you gonna do about it? What are you gonna do? Verse eight makes, an end, uh, makes sense to be the ending. If this is a manual for discipleship, now, I want you to really hear me because this is quite a, perhaps a nuanced point here. I'm not trying to make a liberal point of saying you can't trust scripture or that Mark didn't believe in the resurrection. Of course he did. What does it say in verse six? Uh, it says that, yes, he is risen, the man at the side of the tomb says. Mark believes in the physical bodily resurrection. I believe in the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus, of course. That's true. The other Gospels have this ending as well. And in two weeks, we will celebrate and Jenny will preach the sermon of, yes, we can believe uh, this is true. Jesus has come and conquered. He is risen again. Um, after the prayer series, we're going to look at Romans and we're going to preach on the fact that Jesus has risen and the powers and principalities of this world have been defeated by the risen Christ. Of course, that is true. But I just I hope you get what I'm trying to say here. That by finishing on this verse, the original uh, writing of this gospel from Mark, for Mark, the best way to know if this is true is not an intellectual argument, but putting your whole life under the authority of Jesus. Putting your life, following of everything that you have, not having an insurance policy just in case this isn't true, but in following seeing that Jesus is alive and reigning with the Father in heaven. If someone comes to me and asks me, is the resurrection true? One of the responses and the right response, of course, is to go to scripture. Absolutely, we go to scripture. 
But as well as that, one of the responses is, come and see. Come and see this community of people that have put their lives under the fact that this is true. And we invite them into our community and see this community of love, of forgiveness, of joy, of peace. Come and see this alternative community that, that puts itself under the authority that this is true. And this makes sense, I think, as an ending. It says in verse eight that they were afraid. That was the last thing it says. And this ought to make us afraid and uncomfortable. Dietrich Bonhoeffer um, wrote an amazing book, The Cost of Discipleship. And he, he said this, when Christ calls a person, he calls them, he bids them to come and die. If you do this, you will find not only that you die, but you, you find that this is the way to true life, to joy and everlasting life. It doesn't come easily just by sitting back and believing in your head. But the message and the ending of the whole Gospel of Mark is ultimately that you face a decision. And I'm going to point at you right now on your screen. You right there. I'm pointing at all of you. You've read Mark. You've, you've heard what people have had to say over this last two or three months. You've met this person, you've met Jesus, you've seen what he's about, you've seen that he's the best person ever to live, but he calls you to come and die. You face a choice on this. What are you going to do? Over to you. Okay.